This is John Flannery, your host. Welcome to our podcast, Let Freedom Ring. No more appropriate name could I imagine than that in these troubled days. I stand here knowing that my story is part of the larger American story. Our nation is about equality and opportunity for everyone. I think there's blame on both sides. Of course, there is dissent, because not everyone agrees, nor is everyone worthy of our democracy. We are in a battle to restore the soul of our nation. The answer is to rely on you. Not a time of life, but a state of mind. A temper of the will. A quality of imagination. A predominance of courage over timidity. Of the appetite for adventure over the love of the East. The cruel obstacles of this swiftly changing planet will not yield to the obsolete dogmas and outward slogans. They cannot be moved by those who cling to a present that has already died, prefer the illusion of security to the excitement and danger that come with even the most peaceful progress. It's difficult because it never seems to let up. We always seem to have to work. We must have the resolve to press on. Others have. I know you have In these times, when our nation is at risk, let's talk about how we restore the Republic and let freedom ring once again. Stay tuned. Trump tried to overthrow our democracy. So what are we going to do about it? We have wasted nine months failing to investigate the coup planned by Trump and his traitorous associates. The trail grows cold, and there has been no reckoning for this historic misconduct. We have failed to investigate or prosecute anyone except the rioters. We have thus failed to ask the most basic questions. There were two alternative courses of action that Trump endorsed. Fortunately, both failed. First was the corrupt and unconstitutional scheme to have Vice President Pence overturn the election by ignoring the 12th Amendment to the United States Constitution and declaring legitimate electors as invalid electors and asking the several states to reconsider if there was some fraud in their elections 
so Trump could stall the Hill count for another 10 days. No matter that no fraud had been proven or found, not in any court, recount, or audit. Second, Trump had the fallback initiative, plan B, if you will, rioters streaming from the ellipse, charging the Capitol, storming the ramparts, breaching the building, trying to take over our government by force. Trump and his cronies didn't know for sure until January the 6th at 1 p.m., which course they would have to follow. It was 1 p.m. on January the 6th when Vice President Pence was prepared to gavel the Congress into a joint session to count the electors. At that time, he also posted a letter on Twitter stating he would count the electoral college votes as they had been cast. That is simple math. Pence, therefore, refused to make Trump president by violating the pro forma ritual of simply counting the electors. Trump and his minions, therefore, went forward with plan B, force. No matter the danger to Vice President Pence, targeted for a hanging, or Speaker Pelosi, the focus of a kidnapping plot. On January the 6th, Roger Stone, you may have seen him, was standing with the Oath Keepers on the street in front of the Willard Hotel, taking selfies and giving interviews. But a fair question is, why was he really there? Was he directing the play for the Capitol that fateful day? The Willard Hotel, we now know, is Trump's command center to deny Biden the presidency. Stephen Bannon participated in the planning. So did Rudy Giuliani and another conservative counsel, John Eastman. Oh, and they spent a few shekels to make this happen. The partisans billed the Trump campaign $55,000 for rooms and $66,000 for travel expenses. On January 2nd, before the 6th, the Trump insiders called 300 state legislators to a conference call trying to organize the several states to challenge the count. Afterwards, several states did try to pressure Pence, but to no avail. Journalists at the Post got the story about the command center in recent days. For nine months, no elected official did as well. No one on the Hill got that info. No one in the Department of Justice got that in info. No one even so much as asked Mr. Stone, Giuliani, Eastman, Bannon, or any of the Oath Keepers what they did. No one spoke with Steve Bannon, who confessed his intent was killing the Biden presidency in its crib. Pence may be the most humiliated vice president in American history, forced to serve like a lapdog, scarfing up political crumbs in the Oval Office to give the impression that he enjoyed some political relevance. Former Department of Justice counsel John Yu an infamous conservative legal scholar, best known for giving support to torture, drew the line, in his legal opinion, at having Pence violate his constitutional duty to confirm Biden as the president-elect. Mr. Yu reportedly said Pence had a choice between his constitutional duty and his political future, and he did the right thing. Some thought Pence had courage for doing the only thing constitutionally permissible. When little is the most that may be expected of a person, courage is hardly an apt diagnosis. 
of that person's character. But what's really shocking, and I return to this time and time again, is that no one in the Department of Justice investigated who did what in the insurrection. No one beyond the rioters. Not anybody in the West Wing. Not in our intelligence establishment. Not the members on the Hill. Not any time in the nine months they had to investigate this historic crisis. The Just Us Department's curiosity, even under this administration, has been anorexic at best. There is the hope that a subpoena from the select committee will turn the trick. It's a tool, however, that can be very slow in the extreme in getting any results, and at its most effective, we may only get a report that is heavily redacted. They never open the door and just give us the information so we can derive it ourselves, or for the, the, the journalists to look at it and do what they do that the Hill and everybody else can't do. They find out things and they tell us what really happened. They throw light on the roaches running through the darkness. The law suggests a congressional subpoena doesn't have the legal force of a subpoena issued in a federal grand jury investigation. This raises the question, why are we using such cumbersome and ineffective tools as the House has to offer when a prosecutor with a sitting grand jury could more effectively get at the truth? Oh, do we not want to get at the truth? Isn't there an alternative? Could people be so thick to these alternatives that I've just described to you who do this all the time and, and, and for years and have books discussing it in cases and arguing court? Could they not know the difference between these two, not have read the cases in the Nixon prosecutions and investigations that involve subpoenas and what could be gotten from Nixon that fit the power of a federal grand jury or in a criminal prosecution? The House has subpoenaed key players with the congressional subpoenas and more being called. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Steve Bannon, Dan Scavino, a former Trump White House Chief of Staff Kashyap Patel, Chief of Staff to the Acting Defense Secretary Christopher Miller. Of course, if the subpoenas are stonewall, the Hill investigation may resume the snail's pace of past efforts when Trump occupied the West Wing and just straight-armed the Hill. Trump and the usual suspects endorsed a plan with alternative scenarios, anticipating January the 6th, how they would steal the win after Trump was beaten like a drum in the election. Giuliani advised Trump the night of the election, and you've probably heard about this. He told Trump to say four words, just say we won. Now, John Eastman a Federalist devotee, authored the highly questionable plan they embraced to win what Trump lost, egged on by the most suspect lawyer in America, the erstwhile 9-11 hero Rudy Giuliani. Eastman stretched the 12th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution to the breaking point, wrongly saying that the vice president could decide which electors from the Electoral College were properly certified. The Twelfth Amendment says nothing of the sort. It says, The President of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate and the House of Representatives, open all the certificates and the votes shall then be counted. I've read the Eastman Memo, originally headed, privileged, and confidential. 
The first scenario that Eastman considers in that memo is that if Vice President Pence receives no objections to the electoral count, Eastman projects the outcome. Biden wins. 306 to 232. Slam dunk. Eastman should have stopped there. It was the only constitutional outcome, but Eastman didn't. There were four more scenarios by which Trump could finagle and distort the process to win. At the rally to riot on January the 6th, Eastman was introduced to the crowd by Giuliani. Eastman wore a tan coat, if you saw it, and a wide-brimmed hat and a clashing shirt and told the rioters the following, All we are demanding of Vice President Pence is this afternoon at 1 o'clock. He let the legislatures of the states look into this. So we get to the bottom of it, and the American people know whether we have control of the direction of our government or not. Pretty cheeky, don't you think? Despite the fact that it's compromised in its effectiveness, we must support the Select Committee's investigation on the Hill and in the courts. There are some very capable people on that committee, and the tools do not dictate what their imagination may employ to get them to a place better than those tools would provide. But we must demand something else. We must demand that someone wake up Attorney General Garland and demand that he appoint a prosecutor to investigate and charge those who have so far enjoyed immunity in effect for trying to take over our government by force and deceit. That's all I have today. I hope you found this informative. If you have, talk to your friends about it. We have to let everybody know what's really going on in our government. We cannot let these guys get away with it because nobody does anything. We have to do something about it. And I'll probably uh, continue this uh, po uh, podcast for a while. And we'll have another one next week on Sunday at the usual time. In the meantime, be well, take care of yourself, and I'll talk to you. Bye-bye.